Okay, hello everyone. This is our podcast recording for Veris Nuncius for the theme of human rights violations happening now. Okay, so I don't know. Well, let's introduce ourselves. My name is Jasmine. I am your host today, I believe, and I take HL Geography, Global Politics, and ESS, and I'm a senior. Um, my name is Yana. Um, I am also a senior, and I take HL Economics. Hi, I'm Aika. I'm a sophomore, and I take history, modern world history. Hi, I'm Kalani. I'm also a sophomore, and I also take modern world history. Um, hi. hi, my name is Aiko, and I take Geo, and I'm a freshman. Hi, I'm Mira. I'm a sophomore, and I take AP West Coast Cool. Okay, so I kind of, before we wanted to start, I just wanted to give like a little bit of background. And one of the, I think one of the major themes throughout we'll kind of come back to is the way that human rights violations are kind of I don't know, enforced around the world because, I mean, there's the UN Declaration of Human Rights and it has all the articles of human rights and they're enforced mainly by the European Court of Human Rights, especially in European countries. But globally, it's enforced by the United Nations. But, I mean, we can get into the extent of which they're enforced. Um, so let's start off with, like, the case study of the Yemeni Civil War Wait, 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 sorry, oh. can I just interrupt for a second? Oh yeah, of course. Um, I just wanted to add a trigger warning before we begin, because um, some of the topics we may discuss might be triggering to some audiences, so if you don't want to hear about that, then we'd recommend that you don't continue listening. Yes, perfect. Okay, so let's start off with talking about the famine that's happening in Yemen right now. Um, it's described as the largest current humanitarian crisis by UNICEF. Um, if anyone wants to start us off with some background, or I can, I don't mind. Um, okay, like, I can. Okay, so, to the extent of my knowledge, which is not that great, um, <laughs> there has, there, it initially started with uh, Saudi Arabian intervention. Um, it started with war, right? Um, and a blockade. So a, a blockade meaning there's like lacking trade, bet- blocked trade between Saudi Arabia and Yemen. And that's a big problem because Saudi Arabia is one of the Middle Eastern powers and Yemen's in the Middle East. And so when it's blocked trade with Saudi Arabia, it can't really have access to um, resources from other countries because it only borders Saudi Arabia and Oman. So um, that led to obviously wars, war with Saudi Arabia, and then also the economy therefore crashing and the political situation becoming very in, uh, how, I don't know, very unsustainable, in- I guess. Oh, insta- yeah. unstable. Yes. And now there's issues with famine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, I just want to jump in and say, Yemen is a very poor country in the Middle East, especially because it's adjacent to a country like Saudi Arabia. And because of that, it is highly dependent on its trading partners in order to 
to be able to sustain its economy and be able to get resources in order to further develop and industrialize its economy because less developed countries tend to be more agricultural based but they depend on um, countries that are more developed to trade with in order to get the resources to be able to industrialize and move towards more um, service and other industry based kind of economies so yeah so obviously this whole blockade thing was a really big deal because of that dependence on something like trade and so it is clear why they started fighting jazz you want to get in more into exactly how yeah, that yeah. happened yeah so um well i mean obviously now that oh, hold on i kind of want to get to the root of the problem which i don't really understand right now because but you will in like a few minutes yes right? <laughs> yes yes of course i will so what i'm reading into now is that yes saudi arabia this is the root of the problem right the saudi arabian intervention um mm -hmm. and it's because hold up mm-hmm so it oh, initially yeah. started off with bombing campaigns because the Houthi rebels took over the Yemeni government um, and they're considered a militia but it's hard to identify which side they're on I guess because they're uh, allied with Iran I believe and so because of this alliance with Iran then that has meant that Saudi Arabia is now at war with Yemen. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Great so, explanation, Jazz. Yeah, so do we want to get in... Does anyone want to, like, talk about some of the specific, like, oh, human yes, rights? Oh, yes, actually, violations? I'm also reading a little more into it. Oh. Yes. Oh. oh, no, no, no. I don't know what you said. <laughs> oh, did I freeze? Can you repeat it, Jazz? I think oh, you I'm sorry. Um... I don't know. Oh, basically, I was just saying, if anyone wants to like go into any of like the specific human rights violations, like, or maybe even talk about perhaps the implications because of coronavirus, um, especially based upon like the actual humans there rather than the political situation. I don't. I don't know. I think a super vulnerable group within the Yemen crisis is like females, women, and like young girls, especially. Um, I'm pretty sure that they're facing like a lot of abuse and like exploitation, violence. So like specific examples of that would be rape, um, forced marriage, things like that. So they're definitely like, I think it's important to note that within a bunch of humanitarian crises, there's always a vulnerable group, like a very specific vulnerable yeah. group. Yeah, I would say what's it called? in like you said like in any case there is a vulnerable group i would say though that in this case it might not necessarily be like women i feel like i feel like women are always adversely affected by like most things that go wrong they're always impacted more negatively than let's say like a caucasian male but yeah i definitely think that bringing up women's rights is definitely yeah. an important conversation to go into i'm not sure about the specific implications in terms of this situation but yeah. i think it's pretty fair to say that women's rights are definitely impacted by yeah. the humanitarian crisis in yemen to some extent i think this also kind of like oh yeah sorry go ayaka oh i was just gonna say i think that this crisis is mainly affecting children mm. um just because of like malnutrition and which 
and also like disrupting their access to education and healthcare services, which pretty much just leaves um, children to be more vulnerable and kind of robbing their future in a way. Yeah. I mean, like, I was gonna yeah, say, like, like, oh, sorry. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. Ignore me. Go, go, go. There's a lot of about. Um, anyways, yeah, I was just gonna add on and say, like, definitely kids, like, um, I'm just researching as well while we're speaking, but I was just looking at this case study, and it was saying that this, like, two-year-old malnourished children, like, they're saying that it's nearly been a year since we've been far from home and had a stable life. Like, yeah. when you think about that, like, famine is such a, it's such a dangerous, like, uh, famine is such, it's such a crisis, and, yeah. like, adding on with coronavirus you can kind of like infer like that also hitting the crisis the already existing crisis is not going to like sit well with them so yeah exactly what Ayaka said exactly yeah. what said. like having this famine already present and then like coronavirus on top it's like so yeah so and, and it just kind of like yeah. reinforces it it's really and, and how can families possibly become economically stable when their children are hungry and then also there's the risk of getting sick and how how can like the medical professionals stay healthy and like and be able to do good work towards a community that first of all can't pay for quality health care and can't even pay for food right um it's yeah, just and like, more than that, yeah. uh, what's it called like the brain development of a child happens mm. Or like of people happens yeah, when they're youngest and that's why what's it called we see i guess higher rates of or like lower rates of education and literacy in areas where there's more malnutrition because like you can't think if you are hungry and like so yeah definitely the famine is a i would say definitely the most affected group by that would be kids because mm. they need food to develop you know? yeah. yeah and so yeah okay you can keep going Oh no, I was done. Okay. <laughs> um, I was doing research and it says that 24 million people, which is about 80% of the population, is in need of um, humanitarian assistance. And 12 million of that 24 million are children. And also here it says nearly 2.3 million children under the age of five in Yemen are projected to suffer from acute mal- malnutrition in 2021. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy considering it's just 2021 just started and i don't know a lot of kids already are malnutrition yeah okay also just reading that um unicef just declared Mm -hmm. yemen as the largest humanitarian crisis in the entire world and i guess just like adding on to what you guys were saying like especially kailani like a famine is already like such a big thing but i think it's also important to know that that can directly it's sort of like a domino effect like a famine can cause like a failure in infrastructure which affects the economy and that also affects things like you know public health and i was reading here like the sanitation system facilities water and there's also like another ongoing disease in yemen which is called something like that so on top of like the Mm -hmm. pandemic too there are just a lot of things that have happened because of the famine um how do yeah i mean it's fascinating but it's also such a tragedy that 
also i feel like it's just not really talked about a lot in the media just because it's been happening for so long um even though it's definitely one of the biggest humanitarian crises in the world currently um it's just being overshadowed by a lot of media in the first world right um okay so i feel like another really overlooked crisis that we could talk about is the rohingya genocide in um myanmar should i give some background i okay so essentially again like the un highlights the rohingya people as one of the most discriminated against minorities in the world um they've been persecuted for so many years dating back past the 70s um just on a regular basis by the government because uh, during the military dictatorship at the time um essentially they are denied citizenship they've been forced to leave millions and millions have been forced to flee but also it's so impossible to measure just because they're so undocumented um and the rohingya people are muslim and they live in the southeast asian region uh and this is going on until super recently right in 2016 myanmar's armed forces and police started a major crackdown of the people in the northwest region and the military has been accused for ethnic cleansing and genocide by the united nations human rights groups international criminal court amnesty international um it's been happening for many many years um i, I mean it, it's so many accusations right rape arson and just like genocide right um and even though the government says it's like an exaggeration it's clear that there's been millions of internally displaced people and also refugees around the world that are rohingya people um i don't know it's it's definitely a major major problem in the world if anyone else wants to like expand upon it yeah know. and like i just want to add like it's such a disturbing situation that these people are being kicked out of like their country and having to run around and like um migrate to different places and it's just that you know like slowly they're being killed because they don't have the financial means to protect themselves and their families and yeah. they don't have anywhere else to go they're um undocumented immigrants and it's just this whole thing about like ethnic cleansing which we'll see later on in another crisis and you know like the efforts of like um Myanmar to try to rid um the country of Rohingya people mm. um and it's just so like disturbing to see that like these people like they literally cannot survive and they don't even have a home anymore and they have to like they, they just they I don't know like they're just yeah. it, it's just it's such a sad crisis. Yeah. And I think another yeah. another thing if anyone Oh, sorry, Mira, go ahead. Okay, I got. Um, well, kind of like what you were saying like about how they they like don't have a home. Um they're fleeing to like a neighboring country. I think it's Bangladesh. And even within Bangladesh, I think it's like almost a million of the Rohingya are in concentration camps which obviously are like obviously have very poor conditions and i mean like that would lead them to be a very like yeah. vulnerable group to to covid-19 too um i think i guess the question i would pose is like how do you think these um discriminated groups are directly being impacted by covid well i mean like 
I think one of the really sad things about this is just how recent it is, right? 2016 is when um, it majorly happened. I mean, obviously, this discrimination has been happening for many years. But just recently, right, um, there's been a military coup in Myanmar, like a few weeks ago. And which is major, major news just because, well, Myanmar has been a democracy for a while now. And now the military has taken over. I can't imagine what's going to happen to the Rohingya people now, especially since they've only started beginning to have more freedoms. Um, and especially with COVID, right? Who knows? I, I think that it's it's just like, it's so, it's just such an unknown, right? Unpredictable. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, like, um, I'm sure that like they may not have access to masks and social distancing isn't very possible where they are right now. And, you know, the possibility of getting vaccines is just so unlikely and it's just hard for them because mm. on top of not being able to take care of themselves and their families, they now have COVID to deal with, which makes it even harder for them to survive. And I feel like without COVID, like there would be a chance that uh, the Rohingya people would still be alive for possibly a couple years. But with COVID, it just seems so unlikely that they can survive well yeah and it, i mean the population of myanmar is relatively small um and it ha i'm just looking now and it has a lot of total cases over 140,000 people documented I, I think that's also a problem in the philippines right a lot of the people with covid don't actually get tested and so it's impossible to know the the ones that are documented is obviously a much smaller proportion than the actual people with the virus um you know, I definitely think that's going to be a common trend throughout countries uh, or through developing countries affected by COVID. Like, yeah. I just feel that the numbers are never truly accurate because, like, honestly, in the Philippines, it seems like the numbers would be a lot worse than they are. Mm. But weirdly, like, they've been fairly stable over the past few months. But 100%, like, it is not what is exactly... Or, like, everyone who has it probably isn't getting tested like in the especially when it gets into the more like um dense areas once it hits one person there it's just gonna spread and usually those areas are also more lower income and like they just wouldn't want to have to pay the money to go to a hospital or get tested in the first place so they just stay home mm. or hopefully they just stay home and don't try to go to work or anything but i'd say that is a big reason as to why we see higher concentrations in developing countries. Yeah. Or, I guess, both higher and lower. I don't know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> kind of, like, cycling back a little bit, I think an important thing to touch upon that I didn't really go into was the the way that this genocide is really characterized by the treatment of women, kind of what Mir was talking about earlier. In this case... Um, one of the things that Human Rights Watch really emphasizes is the sexual violence and the systemic target of rape and sexual violence towards the Rohingya people because of the way that that ethnicity is perceived in that country, right? Like, even young girls are taken advantage of by the soldiers. Um, it's, it's really, really disgusting. And I think that that's kind of what makes this genocide especially like it's just especially important to look at because again a lot of these things i didn't know about before even though despite the fact it's so recent and 
it's impossible for a country to fully eradicate this type of treatment in just such a short amount of time. I mean, maybe the government is like, we need to put a stop to this, right? But in the local communities, you, the actual cultural perception of the Rohingya people can't change systematically in such a rapid space of time. Um, if, if anyone else has anything to touch upon, go for it. Uh, or we can move on to talking about a different topic. I don't know. Um, I just wanted to add that, I mean, it could just be me, but I haven't seen much of this crisis like on social media being talked mm-hmm. about, really. So I think it's important to just understand that there's there's a lot more going on in the world than like the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. and stuff going on in like more developed countries, I guess, because yeah. a lot of third world countries or less developed countries are being like silenced mm. and pretty much not talked about by anyone just because they don't have like it's not well known or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely there needs to be more world coverage on um, issues like this, is- issues like the Yemen one, also this one. They're so, so largely scaled, yet we don't see that scale. Yeah. brought to life like we don't see it in the media like i i personally didn't even know either yeah. until like about a few minutes ago and i was also researching and looking at how other regions were responding to this because mm. right as i think you said like these the rohingyans are like fleeing to neighboring countries like bangladesh and thailand i think um so i was looking at how these regions were responding they actually saw that there are protesters um there's some protesters gathered in cities cities of pakistan india thailand indonesia um to like denounce the killings of the rohingya and yeah basically i didn't i didn't know this either and it's yeah. like it's kind of obviously this is not a good you know famine and yeah. all of these genocides are not good but i guess in a way seeing these protesters actually trying to speak up for these people that are not even maybe not even related to them but they just see how much damage has been done. Like, it's good to see that there's people that are protesting. Yeah. And I agree with that. Like, I'm glad that you brought, like, the protests up, but I also think that, like, maybe a big reason those protests are happening where they are is because they're kind of, like, within that region, too. Like, it's more heard about there. But, again, like, kind of what Ayaka was saying, like, you know, um, I feel like a lot of crises or crises and, like, issues that are brought up, a lot of them are talked about in developed countries because i guess it's sort of like a shocker it's like oh you wouldn't expect this country to have these sort of issues whereas like the countries that we're talking about like in the middle east and like south asia and stuff people yeah. have this perception that they're just underdeveloped and they're always is going to be a crisis there so i think when it, when the issues like get brought up mm. people are more like unaware i guess just because like that's yeah. like normal and also is like less shock yeah. value i think that's like an yeah. important thing to bring up because like a lot of the way that our media works now is just what's shocking what's going to get more viewers um whereas things like this that are happening worldwide aren't really touched upon just because the way that our society works it's just so centric around europe and america and the things talked about there, not that the problem's there to be invalidated, right? It's just important that people have a greater worldview. And I think it's especially shocking that, like, we 
aren't as in touch with these problems, even though we live in the same area as them. Like, I can't imagine the kind of perception that people living in the United States have, like the average public school education, right? I mean, we're privileged enough to go to such a high quality like institution, and it's still not even touched upon in depth. And, and, and even in my class, like, I take higher level global politics, and I mean, we touch upon it, right? But it's never gone in depth unless you go into like your personal time and that's just so important I think like people need to understand the major problems um yeah, yeah and I, I I mean going back to that conversation on social media I will say that I have definitely seen like some stuff on Yemen and all the other topics we covered today on social media but I feel like like gradually over time it's the in- when the interest is lost people stop reporting mm. on it and it's really exactly. disappointing that that happens but it's really just like something big happens it's like a, a flood of posts and then nothing really changes like situation stays the same it's still kind of bad yeah but like people just lose interest because they're like oh i guess we tried that was our one shot and nothing happened it's really disappointing that our media does operate around that idea of just like shock value but yeah jazz i think we could move on to the next topic oh yeah yeah. Oh, I just wanted to like conclude that social media discussion by also like not going in depth about this, just quick statement. It also becomes increasingly performative, especially with like the use of petitions. I mean, yes, in some cases petitions. I mean, personally I'm of the belief that in most cases petitions with major crises don't really have an effect. Like you see petitions about like the Yemeni famine and it's just like it's it becomes yeah. performative to some extent. Okay, so now let's touch upon i think uh, the uyghurs and the uyghur crisis in china so super fast the uyghurs are an ethnic minority group in china that located in like the xinjiang region which is like far west of china um and they are a muslim group and essentially currently it's very controversial just because a lot of human rights groups are calling it a mass genocide, right? Um, The use of what the Chinese government calls re-education camps, but have been coined as like the modern day concentration camp in synonymous with the World War II, right? And the Nazi party. How, and the whole point is that obviously in these camps, these Uyghur Muslims are being discriminated against and forced to assimilate into the normal Han Chinese culture. The Han Chinese are the majority ethnic group in China. Um, so, yes, and yeah. to clarify, they are Buddhist or Taoist. Oh, which yes. Which yeah. two, two major religions in China. So I'm assuming that the fact that they're Muslim had a big part yeah. to play in the fact that they're being discriminated against. Um, okay, so just quickly, and then we can go into discussion. So the yes. two the two major like perspectives on the issue, right? So the Chinese government claimed that they're doing these re-education camps in order to allow the Uyghur minority groups to be more easily participating in the economic system within China, and it's seen as kind of a benefit. They're like, oh, we're we're doing a kindness to this group of people because now they can properly work in the economy in a way that every yeah yeah it's yeah and then everyone else is obviously seeing how the chinese government is doing this because well they're they're considered a 
not a communist state, but you know, they, they can call themselves the Communist Party and they want to have a very unified population. So that's why it's been coined as finally an ethnogenocide by the United States. So now, s slowly, the, the global, global view is finally starting to criticize these Uyghur concentration camps. Um, yeah. Anyone? Go for it. If, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, well, I just want to add that, like, the whole situation with the Uyghur Muslims is that, like, there's, like, a huge social media presence with it. I feel like I've seen a lot of people talk about it, and compared to the other two crises, I feel like I know the most about this one, and I feel like that's really interesting. We also see this pattern of, um, you know, it being, like, an ethnic genocide, but also with the Rohingya crisis, it was against Rohingyas who are Muslim, and the Uyghurs mm -hmm. are also Muslim, and you just see this pattern of, like, it being, Islamic like, rather than just, like, an ethnic genocide, like, an ethnic genocide with, like, Muslim minorities, which I just, I find that so unusual, and, um, on top of that, in these said concentration camps, it's uh, been discussed that some Uyghurs are abused in many ways, like mentally, physically, and sexually. And um, because of like them being yeah. Muslim, they're also forced to do certain things that are haram, or they're considered forbidden or sinful yeah. in the Muslim religion, such as eating pork or drinking alcohol, um, just to kind of cleanse them of their religion, which is just so disturbing and just so disgusting that like, people are being forced to do something like this which like is so yeah like terrible against their religion and you know they have no choice yeah yeah and i would add oh my god <laughs> oh, okay. okay i well i was just gonna add that um there were like a lot of like i guess parallels between the um Uyghur crisis and the crisis in myanmar like again like you talked about the whole ethnic um discrimination and like religious discrimination but i think also like you know the rohingya that was their land too and they were being forced out mm -hmm. and it was sort of the same with the Uyghurs, except they're not really being forced out it's more that they're just um being treated very poorly like yeah. the um i think the han chinese right that's like the majority um the the majority or the ethnic majority in china um they came into the Uyghurs land and I think that's one it's already like bad enough that that happened but like the the treatment and, and torture of them just makes it like all the more worse um and I think that the Uyghurs also do feel that their culture and like livelihoods are under right so yeah it's just all around that yeah. um I just wanted to add to Aiko's point before where she talked about how they're doing like an ethnic cleansing in China currently. Um, the Chinese government is cutting the birth rates by using IUDs and mm. abortion and sterilization, sterilization just yeah. to like stop the growth of Muslims, which I find is really yeah. disgusting just because they're basically like forcing women to not have kids yeah. and have an abortion. Again, like with the women, the discrimination yeah. and like of women and misogyny, the trend of that mm -hmm. throughout. Um, yeah. Oh, also um, like oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kailani. Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna speak after Mira because I think my makes um, a bit more sense after hers. But um, I was just gonna add a little fact check thing because I was just looking at mine. 
and it says that at least one million Uyghurs have been internalized or have been yeah. held in these concentration camps since 2017. Yeah. Um, one million. And it says here that there's been over 85 identified cap- camps, um, yeah. but I found that hard to believe because, you know, um, all these camps, th- there has to be some that are unidentified. Yeah. And, and it's just there's no yeah. real way we can know because, you know, it's in China. China really has the media uh, monitored. Mm-hmm. So I'm just questioning like if there's 85 identified how many are unidentified and how many more because a lot of things you know happen to blow out of proportion and um that are like covered from the media yeah for sure especially like um yeah go ahead ayaka sorry um adding on to kailani's point i think the chinese government denied that these concentration camps even existed for a while until like images of them started popping up on social media and like all over the internet and then after that i think the government acknowledged them as and called them like re-education camps or centers which just the name is yeah like re-education it's so interesting like the use of language right the way that we uh, and the media has been calling them concentration camps but obviously the chinese government calls them re-education um I don't know. Yeah, it's really an interesting topic. And we obviously haven't covered in depth into every single thing we discuss. And I think that if you're listening, then you should definitely look into these crises because they're very, very important to know about and very, very important to stand against and promote to other people. Because obviously, as people gain more awareness of these problems, then hopefully we can hold these governments accountable and um especially the united united nations i mean quickly the united nations obviously in my opinion have not done enough to intervene in these problems which is major major issue and they need to be held accountable for that so i'm really glad we've had this discussion and it was very very interesting and i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of our podcast thank you thank you